0: Does someone control you? Do they manage you? Let me give you the context. You're in a relationship, and you expect that person to love you, to approve you, but they don't love you. They are creating distance from you. Maybe the relationship is cold, and it shouldn't be cold, like, say, in a marriage relationship. And you respond sinfully to that person's rejection. Well, that's what I mean by them managing you. They have the power over you. If they give you a thumbs up, you're okay. If they give you a thumbs down, you're not okay. You're a puppet on a string. I talked about this in the last podcast. In that podcast, the title of it is The Story of the Boy Who Was Controlled by Others. And I shared with you in that podcast about a true story of a teenager who came to me many years ago, and he said, quote, Mr. Thomas, you do not wear Walmart to high school. And what he was telling me is that the people that he wanted to associate with in high school controlled him. They managed him, and he knew that if he wore Walmart clothes to high school, they would reject him, and so he had to wear a specific kind of clothes. He had to dance for them. He had to perform for them. They managed him because he wanted something that they had. He wanted their Significance. He wanted their approval. He wanted them to accept him. And so he conformed so that they would. He was a puppet on the string. That group was his functional God. That's what I'm asking you. It's okay to want someone to love you, to approve you, to accept you. It's okay to desire that they not reject you. But what if they don't give you that good and biblical desire? How you respond next? will tell you where you are in your relationship with the Lord. If you can be managed and centered on God alone, being gospel-centered is one way of saying that. You're in a good spot, and you're not controlled controlled by other people. Think about Jesus here. Jesus Christ was rejected by a lot of people. He had his feelings hurt quite a few times because people did some... I'm talking about his friends. I'm talking about his friends. People did some hurtful things to him, but he was so centered. He was so God-centered, not human-centered, and that is the question that I'm asking. I led with, are you managed by other people? Well, the way that you answer that question is by thinking about how you respond to those people when they don't give you what you want I want to talk about that in this podcast. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you're here. I want to share with you a story. In fact, at the end of the last podcast, the story of the boy uh, who wouldn't wear Walmart to high school, at the end of that podcast, I said, I want you to read or listen to Carrie's story. Well, this is the podcast about that. I want to share with you about the horrific shaping influences in a young man's life and how it just exacerbated this hole, I'll use that metaphor, that he had in his heart for significance that only God can feel. And I want you to follow his story of how he filled that hole, but he did it through Christianity he did it by serving the Lord. And his his family dynamic, his life went haywire after salvation, after following God, because he had a desire, a good desire, but yet he was using, in this case, he was using Christianity. He was using the ministry as a means to fill this God shaped hole in his heart. If you want to read this podcast, I would love for you to do that. The title of it is in Search of Significance carries story. You can read everything that I'm going to share with you in this podcast. I also have a short video that I would love for you to watch. It's called What It Means to Live in the Good of the Gospel, or What It Means to Live a Gospel-Centered Life. And of course, you can read the, show, the notes here that I'm giving you, and then you can also share them with anyone that you wish. But here's the big idea. When the gospel is moved from our functional center and replaced by other interests, even things like obedience, even things like the ministry, even things like serving the Lord, how many people are in ministry and they're using ministry to establish their identity, their stability is centered on the ministry and not on the gospel. It's a weird illusion, but it happens so often, and perhaps you have felt that from those or you have seen that from those who, when God begins to rattle the ministry, they are, they're shaken apart, and, and you see whatever God rattles, whatever he rattles in your life, and if that tears you down, if that causes you to crumble then you were centered on that and that is not being gospel centered. And so whenever we move the gospel from our functional center and replace it by other things, we will begin to grow in discontentment. And along with this restlessness will bring the temptation to satisfy our god-giving longings through human centered means. Let me give you a little background on my My friend, Carrie, he may sound a lot like me. He may sound a lot like you. Carrie was reared in a rural setting. He worked whenever he wasn't in school for most of his childhood. His parents barely got along, and Carrie endured. And as he marked the days until he could leave, how many teenagers have I met with who were marking the days. I have no clue, honestly, but it's been a lot where they just sat in my office and you could see them marking the days as they were sitting in my office. This was just another day. One more day about to be done to when I can leave and get out away from my family. Carrie's life had little meaning or significance. He did what felt right and he angrily persevered. There is a hole in all of our hearts because of the fall of Adam, and sadly, rather than turning to God, we carve out cisterns of water. We we carve out these water buckets, but they are false water buckets. Only God can bring the contentment that our hearts need. Carrie lived in a Christless world. And so he submitted to his native tendencies. He became self-reliant. That was his cistern. That was his well that he dug out to satisfy himself, himself. He didn't know about God. You remember what Jesus said in 414 of John, "'Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again.'" The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Well, carry didn't live in that world, and so he submitted to his native tendencies. And when we submit to our native tendencies, we will become self-reliant, not God-reliant. We'll begin to do things our way. We'll begin to uh, we'll begin to give ourselves the things that we desire the most. But unfortunately, those. Those things will never satisfy and eventually will become demanding on any of those, any of those people whom we expect to provide us with these idolatries of our hearts. Carry had a below that average education because his parents showed little interest in him or his schooling, and so he just gave up on the process. As an adult, Carry pulled himself up by his bootstraps. He was self-reliant, Remember? which was mostly because of his intelligence. That is where he, he was most self-reliant. He was a smart kid, but he didn't care and was directionalist. Eventually, he married to get out of the home. It was another short-sighted, self-reliant survival technique. Shortly after his marriage, someone told Carrie about Jesus, and it was not long before he was growing spiritually He had a sincere heart for for the Lord, and you need to hear that. We're talking about a genuine person, and and this is where sometimes it does become confusing for those of us who are in a marriage, for example, we want our, our spouse to love us. We have a sincere biblical desire, and we sincerely love the Lord, but we have a blind spot. We do not see how this... This craving for love is managing us, even though we respond sinfully when it's not met in the way that we want it met. It's our sincere heart for the Lord, it's our sincere desire for a biblical desire, and those things can blind us. The church eventually embraced Carrie and his new wife, and they encouraged him to plug in and to serve. The possibility of others valuing him was thrilling, and it was not long before Carrie had the opportunity to go to seminary. He was experiencing things that he had never enjoyed before. Can you see his blindness here? Can you see how the ministry was giving him a desire that was pressed into him in his earliest childhood memories? His new life was moral, and his family had a semblance of unity and love. Then there was a college education in front of him, something that he had kissed goodbye while in high school. He gave up on that, and he was going to just get a job, fend for himself, didn't need college. I know how to do this, Carry's thinking. He thought for the first time that he was becoming somebody, which had been the deepest desire from his earliest recollections. After God regenerated him, Carrie sensed that the Lord was meeting this longing for significance Through ministry. There was a meaning to his life, and Carrie's contentment was growing proportionally. Though he couched these good feelings under the notion of serving the Lord, the truth was that his ministry was giving him a false sense of worth. He was finding his identity in what he did, his new ministry, rather than who he was in Christ. We can do that in our marriages as well. We can do that with our jobs, obviously. Many moms do that with their children. They identify themselves. That is the center of their lives, and that is where they find their greatest identity and deepest satisfaction. In time, his self-focused desires led him to be more preoccupied with his vocation than leading his wife and family. And that is what happens. You'll become out of balance. If you are not gospel-centered, you will not be balanced. If something else is in the center of your life, and that is where you find your identity, you'll find yourself gravitating toward that center, and it will slowly become your preoccupation, whether it's your vocation, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your children, or something else that you love. There was steadily increasing trouble in their home due to his leadership failure, To further complicate things, his church was applauding his growth while never asking the hard questions about character, leadership, and family. I was talking to a man not so long ago whose whose church uses people this way. It's a pragmatic church where they're just looking for results and they don't ask the hard questions. And if somebody is a candidate to, to fill in a spot, well, the desire to fill in a spot is greater than asking the hard questions about how's your, how's your character, your leadership, your family. Well, they did that to Kerry as well. Here's a warm body. He's got competency. Let's fill him in this spot. And as he began to sense that his wife did not reinforce his newfound identity, he became angry, fearful, manipulative, forceful, distant, and controlling. Think about how you have responded to people who did not meet your desires. Some of the words that may resonate with you are anger, fearfulness, being manipulative, forceful, distant, controlling. That's what Carrie was. He loved the respect, the admiration, the compliments that came with having an upstanding reputation in Christian ministry. The problem was that Carrie's search for significance and craving for self-worth destroyed his home. In the end, Carrie's wife couldn't take, it, take any more of it, so she left. One of the most challenging tasks for a Christian counselor is to teach someone how to find what they are looking for in Christ alone. The person does not see his need as repentance from self and faith in Christ, from self to faith in Christ. He sees his need in terms of significance, acceptance, respect, admiration, belonging, meaning, love, dignity. All of these words are synonyms in the sense that they are idolatries. It's really just a half a dozen or more ways of saying the same thing. And so you just pick out the word that that manages you more. Significance, acceptance, respect, admiration, belonging, meaning, love, dignity. All of these things can become idols in our lives that control us. And when he does not get those things, Carrie speaks continually, of his problems, his concerns, his hurts, and what other people have done to him. This is a characteristic of the person who's managed by others. They talk, they're problem-centered, concern-centered, hurt-centered, other people-centered, what other people have done. This kind of person acts and feels as though they are a walking deficit, a, an empty love cup that nobody can feel. He becomes demanding and self-centered rather than humble and, and God-centered. Carrie didn't seem to understand that his desires had no bounds. Unguarded appetites are insatiable and can wither even the strongest relationships. Can you discern how much pressure you put on other people when their love or lack of love or whatever the word you want to use here? has so much control over your heart it's an ungu- unguarded appetite it is insatiable cannot be satisfied and the effect is always a withering effect and the more he craved his felt needs significance love resp- respect comfort etc the more he wanted them and the more he wanted them the more dissatisfied he became do you see the cyclic effect of these unmet desires? Ecclesiastes 1 says that the eye is never full of seeing, the ear is never full of hearing. You can never get enough of this. You can never be satisfied by the thing that you believe will satisfy you. Jeremiah 17:9, you know, it says that we cannot even know our hearts and truly understand what we need. Proverbs 1412 tells us explicitly that there is a way that seems right to a person, but the end there is death. There's that withering effect of relationships. Again, too many of us have a withering effect on our relationships. Instead of making them grow to mature, what we do is we wither wither them away. They gnarl up. The shaping influences in Carey's life steered him toward a godless, self-absorbed search for significance. He could not see how his way demanded so much from his relationships, particularly those who loved him. Now imagine this. Imagine that you married somebody like this. And by the way, this is the only kind of person that you can marry. A person whose native tendencies is to be self-centered rather than other-centered. The chances of marrying a self-centered person is 100%. And what you hope to God is that that person has learned not to be managed by their self-centered desires. But in many cases, that is not true. And so is two self-centered people demanding from each other that they love themselves, that they love each other the way that they want to be loved, that will have a withering effect, not a maturing effect. Now, I do want you to understand, it's not that the things that these desires represent are evil. To enjoy a good job, for example, is a God pleasing thing. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. I'm not down on the goodness of blessings and how they can satisfy us. Indeed, they are from God. But the problem happens when these things that we enjoy manage us. They control us, meaning we find our significance in these gifts more than we find rest and peace in the Lord. And that is the big idea. That is the big problem. Job said it perfectly in chapter 1 when he was processing what had happened to him. He said the Lord gives. And the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. If our response is not blessed be the name of the Lord when we receive or when things are taken away, then our lives are not centered on the Lord. Nothing can satisfy our eternal longings of our souls outside of Christ. Attempts to find contentment apart from Christ is like quenching our thirst by siphoning water from mud puddles. Do you want someone to love you? Do you desire significance in what you do? Let me encourage you to start first by dwelling upon the gospel. I know. It sounds simple. It sounds cliche-y. It's overused. We have so many gospel-centered hyphens in our Christian culture now. But may I challenge you, take time right now to revisit the gospel story and of how God came to die for you in the form of a man. Preach the gospel to yourself at this moment. Do you know how to do that? I mean, I don't want to say preach the gospel to yourself and, and realize that many people don't know anything beyond that cliche. Do you know how to do that? If you don't, then I would encourage you to listen on. True satisfaction comes when you recognize and apply the gospel to your life. God came to save sinners. He did this by dying for sinners as a man. What more convincing argument is there that shows God's infinite love for you than the gospel? There is nobody on earth that can communicate their love to you greater than the gospel, the message of the gospel. What is there that is greater than this love story, the gospel, for you? What other invention, what other relationship can top the truth and practical reality of the gospel? Living in the good of the gospel has daily practical application. Carrie forgot forgot this. How profound is that? He centered his life on the ministry, read his Bible every day, prayed every day, talked to whoever would listen about Christ. How close can you be to the kingdom but yet be so far from it? How close can you be to the gospel? yet be so far from it. You see, he knew that the gospel was what saved him. It wasn't that he didn't understand the gospel as far as his power in a salvific sense. But after his conversion, after his introduction to the gospel, and remember, salvation is an introduction to the gospel. It's not the full expressiveness and practical benefit and functionality of the gospel. It's just the introduction After his conversion, he moved into the Christian culture, and he began obeying and serving while not tethering his soul to the daily reality of the gospel. Maintaining obedience sucked the joy out of his Christian experience, and it debilitated his relationships. I do have a short video here that I would love for you to watch, learn what it means to live in the good of the gospel Just click the little button here, and you can watch it right here inside of this article. The title of the article is, In Search of Significance, Carrie's Story. The companion article to this, I shared with you uh, in the last podcast, the story of the boy who was controlled by others both of these boys are controlled by something else. One is controlled by the group in his school, and so his life is managed by them right down to the very clothes that he wears. In this podcast, it's Carrie, who is managed by ministry. He's really managed by his search for significance. He wants to be important. He wants to be accepted. He wants to be loved. And he found a way that he could receive the high praise of others, and it came through doing the work of the ministry. I would encourage you to watch this video of what it means to live in the good of the gospel. It's not by being obedient. It's not by serving. Those are secondary issues. And most certainly, the gospel has salvific implications. Most definitely, the gospel will save you but it did not have primary function in Carrie's sanctification, and that is a key. You want to be gospel-centered when you are saved. Well, in fact, you can't be any other way but gospel-centered when you are saved. But you want to be gospel-centered in your sanctification as well. The gospel saves you, Carrie would say, but obedience is of prime importance after conversion, And though he knew the theological error in his thoughts, it was the legalist in him that tempted him to swerve toward making obedience of first importance. And when I say legalism, I'm not just talking about his religious culture that was a legalistic culture. I'm talking about his Adamic native tendencies. Born in Adam makes you a legalist. If you stripped away all of the religion in your life, whatever it may be, you're a legalist at heart because you're born in Adam. And the way of Adam is to try to find satisfaction, acceptance, pleasure, pleasing through the works that you do. And so you could say that it was a triple job on Kerry. He was born a legalist, and then his parents shaped him further into his legalism because the way that they lived, it created conditions in Carrie's life. And he knew that in order for them to love him, he had to perform. And, of course, he gave all up on that and began to mark the days to where he can get out of the home. And then he fell into Christianity, and he found another way where he could receive acceptance and the applause of men and So Christianity became the third, his third attempt at legalism, and all three attempts failed, and Adam failed, his family life as a child failed, and his Christianity failed as well, and it took his family with him. A person living outside the shadow of the cross will forget his biblical priorities and will soon lose the contentment effect of the gospel. You do know that the gospel has a contentment effect? Are you content now? Would you characterize yourself as a contented person? I'm not asking, (laughs) are you content and something dramatic just happened to you? You may be a a little bit uneasy right now, but I'm talking about a pattern of behavior in your life. Week to week, year to year, people would characterize you as a contented person. Is that true? If it's not true, then you are living outside the shadow of the cross. You're forgetting your biblical priorities and the contentment effect of the gospel is not yours. I'll finish with how I led. When the gospel is moved from our functional center and replaced by other interests, even biblical things like obedience will begin to grow in discontentment. And along with our restlessness, Will bring the temptation to satisfy our God-giving longings through human-centered means. The title of this podcast is "The Search of Significance." Everything that I've shared with you, you can read under that article there, plus this video. I also have embedded links here to other articles, and so as I try to encourage people all the time that I want you to do a deep dive into this. In fact, I've, I've, almost stop telling people uh, to read our articles. When people come to our forums, I don't say, hey, read this article, or I don't say it as much as I used to. I replace the word read with study, because what what happens so often in our forums that people come and they'll ask questions, and we'll give them resources to help them, and then they'll come back with more questions, and we'll ask them, did you read what we gave you? And they say, yeah, I looked at it, or yeah, I read it. But you can tell by their response that they have not spent time on their knees, in their closets, reflecting and praying and wrestling with the resources that we have given them. These articles are not written to be read. They are written to be studied. And and depending on the severity of the struggle that you're going through and the determination that you have to work through it, That will determine the amount of time that you'll spend studying these articles, watching the videos, reading the embedded links. And let me make that point to all you disciple makers who are sharing our resources with others. Make sure that those you share these things with, that they are doing precisely that. They're they're spending dedicated time. If you believe that these resources will help, then commit to the process and appeal to them to commit to the process. I have a call to action here. I have three things for you. You can read them. We're at the end of our podcast now, and I'll let you go. But I do want you to jump on this article and read the call to action In Search of Significance, Carrie's Story, that is the title, I have some homework for you. This would be an excellent assignment for the person who is managed by the things that other people do to them. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.